Merry Christmas. Would you please stand? I'm Jack Reisner, one of the pastors here at Erie First Assembly, and we are so glad you've joined us on this very sacred, holy night. Behind me, you'll see the set of the recent musical House of Hope. And our prayer tonight is that you'll be infused with hope today and tomorrow and the days to come. And the great thing about the House of Hope, if you were here, you realize that everybody's welcome. And so that's why we're glad you're here, because everybody's welcome here and there's hope here. So now I want you to greet each other, and here's how I want you to do it. In the first century, Paul the Apostle would write to his friends in different cities. And he'd always begin his letter by calling them saints. And the word saint means those who are called out, called out to follow Jesus. And so we're here tonight to focus on Jesus. And so in just a moment, I want you to turn to somebody and say, Hi, I'm Saint, and give them your name. For me, it'd be Saint Jack. I'm Saint, and Merry Christmas. Just do that. Go ahead. And after you've done that, you can be seated. In in another setting like this, they did exactly that. And there was a man who was very reluctant to say that to the woman next to him. She didn't know him and she didn't. Uh, He didn't know her and she didn't know him. And so she kept saying, well, why? Why won't you say it? Why won't you say it? And finally, he just said to her, because my name is Bernard. (laughs) So to all of you named Bernard, my apologies. Tonight is about names. Tonight is about the believability of names. And some names seem to be unbelievable. In fact, if you're one of those Facebook fans, there are names that Facebook automatically rejects. If your name happens to be, and this is true, there are people whose name is this, if your name is Yoda, they won't let you put your name on. If your last name is Beers, B-E-E-R-S, they won't let you put your name on. Bess Pancake, they won't let her put her name on. That's her name. The Batman family, they can't get their name on there either. In fact, those people now have their own special grouping on Facebook, and it's called Facebook Hates My Name. (laughs) It's tough when people don't believe your name. And tonight we've gathered to focus on a baby in a manger, and people didn't believe his name either. The prophet Isaiah, centuries before, said that he would be here. And he described his name. And Isaiah said this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. There are many people who still don't believe those names. And my question for all of us tonight is, do we believe? So we begin this evening with a great story about a great name. And it's a children's story, so I'm going to ask Miss Katie to make her way up here. And we're going to invite, in just a moment, all the children in this auditorium to make their way up carefully 
and slowly, there's some steps here, there's a ramp here, there's some steps there, and come up and sit around Miss Katie, and she's going to read them a story, and then we promise we will give them back to you. So if they would like to come on up, just come on up. The kids, come on. And the parents, if some of you need to help come up and bring them up, you just go ahead and do that. That's it. Come on up. There you go. There you go, right over here. boys and girls today we're going to read a story about a camel and on the um, journey to go meet the baby Jesus most beauteous and exalted king of all should be my name. Instead, they call me Humphrey. This I could bear if the worst thing of all I had or had not happened. My dearest possession, my glorious carpet blanket had been lost along the trail. Now I am never warm and I suffer terribly. That is why I have set in motion a plan to replace my greatest of all treasures. I carefully nudge my nose inside the caravan master's tent. This is followed closely by the chattering of my teeth, thereby letting the master know that I am most enormously cold. Success! He has not pushed me out. And I remain hopeful that a new blanket will soon be mine. Three rich caravans have joined us and there has been talk of kings. Yet these kings bring me no joy. For they have tied three huge chests to my bare back. They are so heavy that I am sure each one must be filled with rocks. The other camels are wearing the finest of blankets. They are all comfortable and warm. Not one of them thinks about me, their cousin, in pain and misery because of the loss of my most precious carpet blanket. I cry out in sorrow. I weep. You can come right here. Come right there. 
Today, I continue my plan to regain my treasured blanket. I add loud sniffling to the chattering of my teeth and squeeze my entire body inside my master's tent. As I do so, out rolls my master, for the tent is exactly camel-sized. It is as I planned. As the master chases me away, he tosses me a new blanket. I have success. Once more, I am covered with splendor and comfort. I am filled with delight. If it were not for the heavy chests I am forced to carry, I would be almost happy. <laughs> we have followed one star for many, many long nights. Now our caravan enters the town of Bethlehem. In the street, its streets and inns are crowded with travelers. My master gives no thought to my tired feet and rumbling belly. I am forced to move on. At last, we reach the end of our journey. But I'm confused. There's no great palace. No rich oasis, no palms heavy with fruit. I see only a lowly stable with a family inside. The three kings rejoice and rush forward to bow before the young woman who cradles a baby. Finally, the chests are taken from my back and placed before this tiny child. As each box is opened, I see no stones, only gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In this land, I have walked past many children, but never before have I felt the need to walk toward one. Now I kneel before this baby, shivering in a manger. Watching him gladdens me more than sweet water, fresh hay, or even my wondrous new blanket. I look into the baby's eyes, and I am overwhelmed by love. I pull the treasure from my back and lay my gift carefully upon this child. He smiles, and my nose and whiskers tingle with joy. I am happy to my toes, and even without my blanket, I feel warm. Beloved, most beauteous and exalted king of all should be his name. Instead, they call him Jesus. Right now, is in we're going to listen to um, Jenny sing Silent Night, and I want to sing with All right. Let's stay here, though.
Isaiah chapter 9. I'm just going to move over here. So in Isaiah chapter 9, they use the words wonderful counselor. And in this life, we realize nothing is guaranteed. We realize that our financial stability lacks. Some of our relationships are untrustworthy. And the diagnosis that the doctor gives us states positive. So where does this one divine being called Wonderful Counselor fit into our lives? Where is he located in the midst of us and how does he relate to us? Well, the scriptures tell us that he's the author of human life and creation. It also tells us that at one point before time began, the Wonderful Counselor stepped to the edge of chaos and he breathed order. His involvement with mankind challenges everything that we have ever come to know as normal. And his heart beats so much that he extends an invitation to mankind that only he can offer that brings true peace, that brings true counsel and true wisdom. We always look at life and we often wonder if only my life could be like those perfectly shaped cookie Christmas trees that we eat and enjoy every year. We realize that our lives are not that perfect manger scene that we find under the Christmas tree. And sometimes everything seems disarray. And when the seasons come and when the seasons go, there is always one thing that will remain that we can count on, and that is the wonderful counselor, Jesus Christ. So as 2009 fastly approaches its end, and as 2010 enforces its way in. Where will you this year seek your wisdom and your peace and your counsel? Where will you find peace and where will you find rest? See, the Christmas seasons will come and go just like every other season, but Jesus Christ will remain. And when all the gifts are unwrapped and our stomachs are full from all that we've eaten and all of the earthly pleasures have come to an end. The wonderful counselor still stays extending that invitation to us, offering us his counsel and his peace that we need. So if we are rummaging for security, wisdom, peace, or even those answers that we've been asking and looking for through questions, we won't have to look very far this season or any day. Because we will hear the reply echoed from heaven's throne that he who is peace, the one who is order, is Emmanuel, God with us.
in Isaiah chapter 9, after that name, Wonderful Counselor, we encounter another name, and it says, Mighty God. I have a friend with me today. Her name is Colleen. Colleen encountered the Mighty God. And so what I want to do is I want to ask Colleen a few questions, and she's going to be so kind to answer them. But Colleen, tell us a little bit about what your life was like before you encountered Jesus. Well, I've always had to have control over everything in my life, and because of certain circumstances and events events in my life, um, I learned to trust nobody. And um, there was a time in my life about a year and a half ago when everything in my life was out of control. I had no control over everything. Um, My life was a mess. I found myself going from one rehab center to the next. Um, I was hopeless. I was helpless. I was worthless. And I decided to give up. And I ingested hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pills. Um, over 500 pills, and I attempted suicide. I um, was in a coma for five days, and I woke up in the transplant ICU in Pittsburgh at UPMC. Doctor came in my room and said, I don't know why you're still alive right now or how you're still alive right now, um, but there's something we got to deal with. Now all of your organs are shutting down. And the first one to go is your liver. It's no longer functioning, and you need a transplant. Um, And he said that normal liver enzymes are under 50, and mine were in the 9,000s and continuing to climb. I um, had a very good friend um, throughout college who loved the Lord with all of her heart. And um, she was a mentor to me throughout college. She um, moved to Pittsburgh and was actually working in the hospital at the time and came to visit me while I was a patient there. Um, After talking to the doctors and the nurses, um, she asked if she could, she asked the nurses if she could come in and close the door. And they, of course, looked at her like she had ten heads, um, but agreed to it. And she came in, she closed the door, and she said, well, I don't think you're going to be able to get a transplant. And there's only one thing that we can do, and that is to pray. And she placed her hands over my liver and prayed. And prayed for healing over my liver. They came in to draw some blood work. They came in about 15 minutes later to redraw that blood work because the doctor had ordered it to be redrawn because somehow it got messed up. It was the wrong person's blood work. It it wasn't right. It wasn't accurate. So they redrew it. 15 minutes later, they came back in and redrew the blood work. Another 15 minutes later, they came back again and redrew it. And the doctor finally came in with the results of the lab work. And he said, here's your labs. 
your liver enzymes are, were in the 9,000s. Half an hour ago, they're now in the 5,000s. And every 15 minutes when we came in to draw it again, they've gone down and closer to normal. And he said, I don't understand this. I've been a, phys a liver physician for 40 years, and I've never seen anything like this. And um, over the next night, my liver enzymes continued to go back down, and my liver went from completely not working to brand new again. So Colleen had an encounter with Mighty God. And Joseph and Mary had an encounter with Mighty God as well. They ended up leaving their home. They ended up leaving their family. All to fulfill a promise for the entire human race that was present and to come. To deliver the Son of God to the earth. So they left their home just trusting Mighty God without anything else being known. And so today we choose to trust Almighty God because He is mighty. Just 
a child but not by me and yet the angel said don't be afraid to take her as your wife for in her is a life that through the holy spirit has been made for if god can work this miracle so wondrously surely i can trust his plan for me i trust him with my life anywhere he I will follow through the darkest night. I'll let his light illuminate the shadows. Though his ways are so mysterious, yet in faith my eyes can see oh i trust him with my life for he gives life to me he who dwells in the shelter of the most high will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I
So I can trust God as mighty counselor, as a mighty God. But what about that word, everlasting father? I have trouble with that. And I had trouble with that for many, many years. And let me just back up a little bit because I want to help us to understand something here in the sequence tonight. When my wife and I were expecting our first child, as most normal cases are, we waited about uh, two to three months. We wanted to be sure the baby's health was fine and everything was good before we broke the news to family. Then we got on the phone and we announced it to everybody and we sent out little cards that we were going to have a baby. And that's about average, I believe, probably six months maximum notice. So how did this come to happen that 700 years, 700 years before Jesus came to this earth, God gave an announcement through the prophet Isaiah that there would be a child come into this world and he would be almighty God and he would be counselor and many other titles that was given to him. And also he would be everlasting father. How does that happen? A baby, an infant be called an everlasting father. Chronologically, it just doesn't make sense. And for many years of my life, I could not wrap my mind around Jesus being my everlasting father. Because you see, we know, and many of you sitting here tonight, you understand the dynamics of life and how things go. And chronologically, many of us have lost our fathers. They're not with us this Christmas season. So they're not an everlasting father. They were with us for a time. And so I was thinking growing up that I must really be blessed because, you see, I really experienced three fathers. If anybody had a good shot at having an everlasting father, it was me, a biological father who actually was deceased when I was about two years old, a stepfather who raised me most of my life, in fact, into my adulthood. He was deceased in 1980. After my mother remarried, I have another stepfather. So three stepfathers, a father and three stepfathers, you would think I would understand what everlasting father really means. But also in those growing up years, I guess it was before the advent of how to be a dad and dad's coaching clinics and all these good things that help us as men know how to be better fathers. But I never really experienced a lot of that. And when I thought about Jesus as the everlasting father and why did God give him that title? He gave him that title because his love is everlasting. Because he has father-like qualities. He nurtures. He provides. He guides. He cares about us. And Jesus in that father-like love has helped us to understand that he has loved us beyond and before creation. And he loves us right in the middle of our struggles. When we mess up, he loves us. When we say wrong things and we do wrong deeds, he still loves us. When we get mad and fly off of the handle and, and, and just go beyond the words of explanation in our behavior, he still loves us. And I struggled with that for a lot of years. And it was around 1974 when I became a father. 
I really didn't know how to do it right. Did a lot of things wrong. But I understood the love of a father for a son. And then just a little over two years later, I became a father again. And I've got the privilege tonight to have both my boys with me in the service. And I know that as a father, there have been disappointments and there have been times when I really didn't get it right and I really didn't, wasn't maybe there in the exact uh, time and place that I should have been. But I understand what it means to be a father. And so not only that, but as the years went on and as they got married, they too became fathers. And they have two sons each. And I love to sit back and watch them because they're great dads. They love their children. They care for their children. They provide for their children. They discipline their children. But I watch them and I sit back and I say, if, if, if my fathers really didn't get it right, maybe I've done something a little bit better. And, and hopefully that I've passed on some things to my sons. And as they are fathers, they're going to carry this on. And so in essence, I'm not going to be here forever. So I can't be an everlasting father. And should time tarry and we live long enough, my boys will grow, grow up and the years will go by and they too will decease and they can't be an everlasting father. So who do we have to turn to? His name is Jesus. He came into this world as a baby, but he grew up. And he took on the title everlasting father. And he's loved us so much. In our faults and in our failures, he's loved us so much. And some of you tonight may not have yet been able to understand that. And maybe you can relate to what I'm saying. And you're sitting there and saying, you know, Pastor Don, gee, I've, I've just really screwed up. And I've messed up terrible. And, and I've got messes that, that I need somebody to come and jump in the middle of and help me out. But I don't, I don't have anyone like that. Well, tonight you have an opportunity to meet someone very, very special, and his name is Jesus. In just a moment, we're going to receive communion together. Ushers are preparing to serve you in just a moment, and you say, well, now, what is the connection with communion and Christmas? Except they both start with a C. Well, there's more than that. You see, the communion tonight, not only do we honor and recognize the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood that he gave upon Calvary. But I want you to picture with me tonight that we are celebrating one who is our everlasting father. That means his love will never end. And as we receive communion this evening, basically it also tells us tonight we are celebrating the connection from the past to the present to the future. You see, Christmas time and all the Christmas cards and the stories and, and all of the things that we share with our families, it, it talks about historic events, and that's good. But what we want to focus on tonight is how these historic events have shaped and transformed our lives today. And it's because of what happened in the manger, what happened on Calvary, and what happened at the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Jesus is alive and well, 
He's our everlasting Father. So tonight we celebrate Christmas because it's changed how we live today. And if you have not had that opportunity to experience that change, in just a moment, Pastor Jack is coming and leading you in receiving of the elements tonight. This is a great opportunity and no greater Christmas gift will you ever receive than the love of Jesus in your heart. So I'm going to ask if the ushers would please come forward tonight and serve us. And as you receive the emblems, hold them please. And Pastor will be up in just a moment and he will lead us in taking and sharing of communion.
child they brought gifts gold frankincense and myrrh gold is the metal of kings frankincense is the incense of a priest and myrrh myrrh is that one thing they use to help embalm it's what's used for a funeral it's what's used when someone dies because they recognized at that moment that Jesus was king and priest and sacrifice that when Jesus was asked what are you doing here on this earth he said I have come to serve not to be served and to give my life a ransom for many and that's why on the night that is betrayed he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he said this is my body which I'm giving for you the words that he used, they understood. They were redeeming words, words used about the sacrifice given that saved Egypt and, and Israel and or Israel and Egypt, and, and they understood that he was saying, "I'm coming to sacrifice myself for you to give you life." He said, "This is my body, which I'm giving for you." He was born to die, and so tonight we've come to give him thanks and to celebrate the fact that he was willing to give his life. So that we may have life forever. So Jesus, thank you for this bread. Thank you for your life that you poured into us and you, and you took our death upon yourself. And so we put our faith in you tonight and we worship you. Let us partake of the bread together. And then they t he took the cup and he said, all of you, I want you to drink this because this is the blood of a new covenant. A new, a new agreement with God has been reached. Jesus said, if I'm willing to die for you, then God is willing to give you my life. And if Jesus can overcome death and rise again, then there's nothing in our lives that we face that he cannot overcome. And so we come here tonight full of hope. John, a follower of Jesus, said, and this is the story that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, and he who has the Son of life, he that has the Son of God has life, and he who does not have 
the Son of God does not have life. And so we've come to celebrate tonight that Jesus is our life. So Jesus, we thank you for your blood. We thank you for the power that was released by the giving of your blood and the life that was released into our dead lives. And we thank you that life now is eternal. It goes on forever and ever. And so we rest in that. We find in you all that we need. We give you thanks. Let us partake of the cup together. Now the scripture says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And that is why as we gather together here every Christmas Eve, we follow that pattern of giving. And so tonight we're going to encourage you. We are going to take an offering, but tonight understand what this offering is for. There's a wonderful organization in Pennsylvania and Western West Virginia that for 26 years have been focused on the needs of children who are facing difficult illness. It's called Make-A-Wish Foundation. And for the last 26 years, they've given wishes to over 11,000 children, giving them hope and, and giving them strength. And so this evening, we're inviting you to join with our church family in generously giving so that everything received tonight will go towards Make-A-Wish so that we can grant some more children some wishes that will help give them hope and a focus and a future. And so if you prepare yourself to do that, if you're going to make a check, just make it out to First Erie First Assembly and everything again in this offering will go toward Make-A-Wish. So prepare yourself to do that if you will, please. And ushers, will you come? So Father, thank you that you are willing to give your son that lives could be changed. And thank you that you give us the ability now to give to others. So we ask you to bless this offering and multiply it that there are many children who will understand that they are loved because of our generosity tonight. So we give you thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Hark the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn King Peace on earth and mercy mild God and sinners reconciled Joyful all ye nations rise Join the triumph of the skies With angelic hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn King. Hail the headborn Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all He brings. Risen with healing in His wings. Mild he lay his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give him second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king.
Hark the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn King Peace on earth and mercy mild God and sinners reconcile Joyful all ye nations rise Join the triumph of the skies With angelic hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn King. So the word is Noel. In French, it means Christmas. In Latin, it means first birth. And it was announced this way according to Luke, a historian. Luke wrote these words in Luke, the second chapter. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. The angel said, Peace. The prophet said he would be called the Prince of Peace. So what is it about this child that brings peace? What is it about this one who could stand in the middle of a storm and say to nature, Peace, be still? What is it about this man that could go walk into the middle of a lynching, if you will, a stoning of a, of a woman who was guilty of sin and yet bring peace and no condemnation. What is it about this Jesus that can enter into a life that is so disturbed, someone tormented by demons beyond count, and bring that one peace? You see, the word peace in those days meant quietness. Quietness that comes about by Two hearts being united without any separation. About 30 years after his birth, Jesus was asked, what do we need to do to have this peace with God? And Jesus said, it's simply this, that you love him with your whole heart. Love God with your whole heart and your neighbor as yourself. And honestly, we're not really good at that, are we? How many of you can honestly say that perhaps this week going down Peach Street there was someone you did not love? <laughs> yeah, me too. We're not really good at that loving thing. And Jesus said, if you let me, I'll show you how to do this and give you the ability to do this. And so Jesus has come to show us how. Because it is amazing that wherever he was, no matter what the situation, even hanging on a cross where a thief is dying for his own wrong, Jesus brings him peace and says, today you'll be in paradise. In just a few moments from your torment into paradise, Jesus brings peace wherever he goes. 
because He reunites us back to our Creator. So whether you are a blue-collar shepherd or a poor family in transit, or you may be a rich prince on a quest, the good news is this, that peace comes to us because of that first Noel.
So what is it about this child that brings us peace? What is it about this child that, that wants us and makes us attracted and drawn to him? We're so used to God being this God of judgment, and we've read it throughout the Scriptures, this God in His anger creates such havoc, but here He is as a child. Is there anything more approachable than a baby? God's saying to us, I want you close to me. So He comes to bring us home. His life and His death, as we already talked about it, guarantees that. For he promised that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all impurity and that he would bring us back home. And because of that, he is wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. And so I ask you that same question I asked earlier. Is it possible? And do you believe? Can you trust him? So I invite you to stand now with me. Would you please? And so once again in this holy season, O God, we listen to the words of the promise spoken by Isaiah long ago. Every valley shall be exalted and the crooked places made straight. Lord, even in the high and holy days that lie ahead, there will be valleys, quiet moments of aloneness, of desolation, of remembering loved ones absent, family members perhaps long gone, hopes that were never quite fulfilled and plans and promises long shattered. And there will be those crooked places also when the worst that is in us springs to life again and the heart twists and the mind turns in upon itself. And we know jealousy and malice and anger and greed. For even in these highest days we are still ourselves. Your dreaming, hoping children who can yet stumble and fall and go so far astray along the way. So please make our crooked places straight by your power and not our own. Exalt the valleys of our lostness and loneliness with your love. And when the feast is over and the last gift is opened and the final carol sung, stay with us and stay for us. And hold us in your newborn yet eternal arms forever and ever. Amen. God bless you and Merry Christmas.